0: No. Hi, I'm glad you're here. Um, I'm sort of in a bit of a whirlwind right now because um, uh, I have to rush home to take my son to the airport for his uh, for a year of study in, in Jerusalem. So um, I'm kind of. I was thinking that this is this is kind of parallel this experience since he just graduated high school. This is kind of parallel to sending off your kid to college because that's sort of the kind of the milestone that's, that's taking place right now, and just in terms of his age. And, um, and I, was, I was thinking about when I went off to, to college myself, so, so what my mother's last words were to me. So I was standing, I, I lived in, in Manhattan, I grew up on, on 79th Street and Broadway, so I'm standing there on the, on the seventh floor by the elevator, and I'm about to leave, and my mother's last words were to me, she said, David, uh, remember keep your eye on the donut and not on the hole. and which, I, which it took me years to figure out what that meant, by the way. Um, and, and then I found out, like I ran across some sort of like um, vintage napkin, a vintage cocktail napkin, like from a bar or something like that. And apparently I, this was like part of a poem, like sort of like a, a, a witty poem of the day from like the 1940s or something like that. But they made it rhyme. I don't remember how the actual rhyme goes. But but anyway, what does it mean, keep your eye on the donut and not on the hole? What it means is, focus on what you have and instead of focusing on what you don't have. And it's actually very deep, because in a donut you have an interesting construct. Because in a donut you have the combination of having and not having. They're both sort of like geometrically or whatever the word would be, combined into one unit, what what you have and what's missing. And so, so we have to focus on, and that's all of our lives. Because all of our lives, you see, we live in this, in this realm where everything comes down into a definite structure. But in order for something to come down into a definite structure, it, it, it by definition has to be one thing and not another thing. That's what makes it the thing that it is. That it's this and not that. But also on the other side, it's also this and not that. Right? So, so in other words, it's a, it's a necessity, it's a positive. Right? It's essential. But, so, but how are you looking at it? How are you looking at it? Because everything that you have could be that you don't have it. And everything that you don't have could be that you have it. And it could be that you have the things that you really want, and you don't have the things that you really don't want. You know, I was thinking, I was standing the other day, like this past week, and I was just, you know, I was by myself and I was just talking to God. And I was saying to God, you know something, it just hit me, like, you know, this expression, the best things in life are free. So what, do, what does that mean? The best things in life are free. I don't, that's not a verse from the Torah, but, you know, that's, that's, that's something that, that people say. And, and there's a lot of truth to it, I guess. You think that... Um, I'm standing up. I'm breathing. I'm I'm I'm, I'm seeing. You know, all the, I'm alive. All these things, you know, and you, you're not paying for that. But then I thought about it, and I said to myself, "Are the is are these things really free? Like for instance, if a person is having trouble breathing, right? It costs money to breathe. You need machines to help you breathe. If a person is having trouble walking, you have to go to a doctor. To pay for the special boots, Um, 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 I know someone very well right now who's having trouble walking. It's it's expensive to walk. And then, you know something? If a person is having trouble, God forbid, with their eyesight, is it free to see? It's not free to see. You have to pay a lot of money to see. And Who knows? God forbid, a person needs surgeries. So I thought to myself, all these things that we consider are free. They're not free. They're gifts. There's a big difference. They're not free. They're not free. But if we have any of them, they're gifts. And they're gifts that we're constantly getting. You know, so a person has to learn how to receive. You see? It's, there is a arrogance that's built into every human being. No matter who you are. Whether you are quote-unquote arrogant or not arrogant. Doesn't matter. From birth, there's an arrogance that's built into every single person. And that arrogance is the following. What I have is mine. It belongs to me. Right? But it's not really true. I heard Rabbi Green say one time, you know, it's like, there's a, an example. And this example is given in different ways. It's in, it's in, the rabbis give it over, but he said it in a contemporary way. So, slightly different version. But it goes like this. A person is, is basically a child on the streets, basically an orphan. And just, you know, without any help, any protection, completely helpless. And a wealthy person takes pity on this child and brings, brings this child into his home. And clothes him and feeds him and gives him everything and raises him. And makes him into, you know, an adult who, who really has... You know, capacities and strengths and everything like this. And then the master of the house brings another poor person into the house. And the first person says, who is this person who's being brought into the house? He's going to be taking away from me. And the first person has forgotten that everything that he's been receiving is a gift. Because he's gotten this gift over such a regular period of time. He thinks it's his. He forgot that he was the recipient. That we are the recipient of ongoing incredible kindnesses. On a constant basis. And so we think it's mine. It belongs to me. I'll tell you something very deep. So just off of this, just to finish this thought. Rabbi Green says the following. Your eyes are yours. Your eyes belong to you? Where's the receipt? Show me the receipt that shows that you purchased these eyes and they belong to you. Right? Your heart? Your heart belongs to you? Show me the receipt. Let me see the receipt where you bought it and it belongs to you. I heard Rabbi Shlomo say in the name of the Beis Yaakov, this was the second Ishmael Rebbe, he said that on a very, very deep level, every single person thinks that they created themselves. It's is a phenomenal insight into human nature. We all understand intellectually that we have parents. We, we understand that. That's very basic. Of course I have parents. Where did I come from? Of course I have parents. And yet, on a very deep psychological level, every single person thinks they brought themselves into creation. And Reb Shlomo hinted that this is one of the reasons honoring your parents is considered considered the hardest mitzvah in the whole torah because you know people know sometimes it's it's a very difficult mitzvah and this is one of the reasons again on a very deep level one of the reasons why it's so difficult to honor your parents because on a very deep level people think they created themselves do i really owe you do i really owe you maybe not maybe not very striking So right now we're gearing up for Rosh Hashanah, and that's basically has to be on, on some level our whole focus these days—just really getting ready for Rosh Hashanah, getting ready to receive the new year. And interestingly, you've got this uh, these back-to-back parshas. Actually, all these parshas are talking about Rosh Hashanah, and um, there's a lot of there's a lot of Torah on how every single one of these Parshas is all about Rosh Hashanah. But I want to just touch on a couple of highlights of last week's Parsha and this week's Parsha and how they relate to Rosh Hashanah. So, so let me begin with Ki uh, with Ki Tavo Ta is, is very interesting. And uh, maybe, you know, this is actually the second of the two that I want to discuss. But you know what? <clears throat> now that I think about it, you know, it says in Pirkei Avos, if someone asks you a series of questions, you should answer the first question first and the second question second. Right? Don't just start answering questions that be systematic. So I'm going to revise what I said. Let me start with chronologically the first Parsha and then I'll do the second Parsha. So, so Parsha's Kitsetse. So this is talking about when you go out to war. And the rabbis say that this is really talking about, on a deep level, about battling your Yetzirah, your evil inclination. And it's also talking about actual warfare, and there are halachas about actually how to wage war here. By the way, one of the favorite talks that I've ever given, and if you can look it up on, Torah, on iTunes, I think you'll hear something good, in, 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 in my humble opinion, it's called Purifying Your Thoughts, that's the name of the talk purifying your thoughts, and it's all describing the warfare aspect of this in a much more detailed way. I'm going to touch on a different part right now. But if you can listen to that talk, I, I think you'll like it. So, it begins, it says, So, when you go out to war against your enemies, And your enemies is is here written in the plural. Then it says that God is going to give him to you. Him in the singular. So the first question that we have is, why does it begin in the plural? When God, when you go against war against your enemies, that's a lot of people. God is going to give him to you in the singular. So I want to say the following explanation. We have to understand that all of the opposition in all the different areas of our life, whether it's whatever it is, uh, family, money, uh, love, uh, whatever it is, all the different uh, work, all the different um, areas of our life where we are experiencing challenge, in other words, our enemies, in the plural. It says, God is going to give him to you, in the singular. You have to know that all opposition comes from one place, from the eight Sahara, from the negative inclination, and that all of these things are actually one thing. Now, the Gomorrah says the following, which is that the, this negative energy is broken down into three fundamental categories, okay? The first is the Satan. In English, we say Satan, but, but that's not, the Jewish view is not the Christian view, the Christian view is God is battling against the devil, and it's this battle against the two. That's not Judaism. In Judaism, there's only one power, it's only Hashem. And evil serves good. Evil serves good. It says that when temptation comes to a person, it wants you to say no. If you say no to this, um, bless you, if you say no to this temptation, whatever it is, then it says the Sahara jumps up and dances. If you say yes to it, it rips its clothes and cries. So evil works for good. Evil works for good. There's only one power. So the Satan is the heavenly accuser. That's one aspect of the Yetzirah. The second aspect of the Yetzirah is what's called the Malach translated as the angel of death. This attacks the body. And then the third aspect is called the Yetzirah. The This attacks the soul. So, the Gemara says all these these three forces is one force. You see, all of your enemies, is really one force in the singular. It just manifests itself in different ways. Okay? Alright. Now, the Torah also in its infinity gives us a strategy on how to win. So, let's look at the first three words again. When you go out to war. So, let's just stop there. So, what, when I go out to war, what? What should I do? Tell me, God. How, how should I be when I go out to war? It says, Al is a very interesting word. See, it's translated in English as when you go out to war against your enemies. But Al actually means Above. God is telling you, you want to win your battle against your enemies? Be above your enemies. You have to be above. So, so spiritually speaking, the, the way a person is supposed to conduct their lives is you have to be in the moment. You have to be sensitive to what place I am. What time is it? Who are the people in the room right now? What are their needs? What are my needs? What is God asking of me in this particular situation? You know, I, I like to compare life to a kaleidoscope. A kaleidoscope, you look through and you, you turn the lens and it switches. It's a new picture every single second that you turn it. This is like us also. We stand here, God puts us in one situation. Then he turns the lens, so to speak. Now I'm in a different situation. I was in, I was in this one place today. Now I'm in this another place this afternoon. Or I'm in this circumstance in my life. Or I'm in this relationship in my life right now. Now God turns the lens. And now I'm in a different relationship. I'm in a different place. And in each instance, God is asking us, or how are you going to react in this situation? How are you going to react in this situation? How are you going to react in this situation? And a person has to understand that in every situation in their life, whether it's Yom Kippur, And they're standing like, oh my God, it's Yom Kippur right now. Or I'm standing in line at Ralph's in the supermarket. Whatever it is, you're standing before God equally in each of these moments. In fact, in many shuls above the Arana Kodesh where we keep the Torah, you have this Pasuk, and it's here right here. Shaviti Hashem L'Negdi Tamid The name of God will be before me always. So I heard in the name of the Valshem Tov, Shaviti has this word shav in it, the first word, which means equal, meaning the name of God will be equal before me always. No matter what situation that I'm in, I'll understand that I'm equally standing in front of God. Okay, so a person, that means to be in the moment. That's the definition of what it means to be in the moment. So you can't detach yourself and call your detachment spirituality. That's not spirituality. That's a personality flaw that needs to be rectified. You have to be connected and compassionate. At the same time, though, life is like flypaper. You don't see these things anymore. But when I was growing up, they used to have these yellow strips hanging down from like coffee shops and things like that. And you'd see these big black flies stuck to these yellow strips and they were just like hanging there like a decoration, you know. Or, you know, the the crazy thing is it would be an advertisement of how clean this establishment is. That you have a collection of, you know, corpses of dead insects hanging near the food. And that was the advertisement, this is a clean place, you don't have to worry. You know, it's funny how times change, you know. But anyway, that aside, life is like flypaper. You know, you're in one situation, like, I just got yelled at at work. And you know what happens? You stick to that situation. Now, even though you're in a new situation, now I'm with the kids and I should be playing with the kids. All I can think about is I got yelled at at work. I'm still stuck to the, the fly strip at work. Or my wife yelled at me. Now I've got to go to work and I've got to be creative. How can I be creative? I'm still being yelled at. Yelled at. I'm still stuck in my house to, to, to that last set of words. So life is like flypaper. It's, it's very hard to go through with, while being focused and engaging without getting stuck. Tremendous challenge. This is a tremendous challenge. So how do you do it? How do you get past that? So the answer is, al You have to be above your enemies. You have to be above the challenges, which means that you're within, but you're also above. Now let me tell you the greatness of being above. And this is a very simple visualization that I, I think that uh, you'll be able to get immediately. You see, imagine I'm surrounded by a group of people, right? Maybe an army or something like this. And they're all kind of around me. Ah, they're attacking. So I see so many different forces. There's this force and there's that force and they're all out to get me. But now imagine I go up in, a, in an airplane and now I'm thousands of feet above. When I look down at it, it doesn't look like a hundred or a thousand, it just looks like one. You see, when spiritually speaking, you're al oivecha, you're above your enemies, you understand that all those different things that are attacking you are just coming from one place. It's just coming from the Itzahar. You understand? So, so this is, this is the challenge, but this is the model for success. This is the model for winning. And interestingly, at the end of when we say Aleinu, there's a little paragraph after we say Aleinu. And it says, al You know, in the Torah, it says, lo Lotira. Lotirah means don't be afraid. Like when you get into battle, don't be afraid. God's going to help you. Don't be afraid. But interestingly, when, when the rabbis put together the Siddur, the, the prayer book, they didn't quote that passage, lo don't be afraid. They quoted another passage from chapter 3 in Proverbs, from Mishle, which says, al be above fear. I can also mean don't. But here, in this context, you see how we're studying it right now, you want to overcome fear, be above. Understand that it's not these, that you're not really engaging. These, this, that's just the, the form they're taking in this world, to, to highlight an aspect of you, so that you can work on some aspect of character development. That's what all challenges, is, challenges are. Just that I can overcome this, and so God sort of like says, "Okay, let's focus on this right now," and it's uncomfortable, but you know, it's almost like a bit of a surgery. You know what I mean? It's sort of like ah, now we're focusing on this, okay, but I'm going to try to improve in that area. Okay, so now I want to move to Kitavon, and Kitavon is uh, very interesting. Also, beautifully, it begins with the word Vahaya. Now, Baha'ya is spelled vav Yudhe. yud And, you know, that's all the letters of Hashem's name. yud Vavhe. vav Right? So, if you rearrange the letters of Baha'ya, it spells out the name of Hashem in His form of Rachamim, in the way that He relates to us in this form of compassion. So, it's good news. The, the, the Parsha is beginning with good news. And also, interestingly, Bahaya is the arrangement of Hashem's name for the month of Tishrei? You know, every month there's twelve different ways to make permutations on the name Yud and Hey and Vav and Hey, this name of God, and each month has a different permutation. So the combination of the letters for Tishrei is Vav Hey Yud and Hey. So so it just underscores how even though this parsha and we're in Elul right now. How this, how this is really sort of directing us to the fact that all of this is really directing our minds toward Tishra. Because, and Vahaya, very beautifully, and this is a wonderful, you know, you know, like a wonderful recommendation for just the, the Jewish worldview. view. Vahaya means something good is going to happen. Which is, which is great. That's what the Gemara says, by the way. So, so Vahaya is a very, very positive word. And to think that, and they talk about when you see vahaya at the beginning of a verse of a pasuk, the beginning. If it says vahaya, that means something good is happening. So, isn't it interestingly, isn't it interesting that Tishrei, which is the beginning of the verse of the year, if you will, the beginning of the year, is beginning with this combination of Hashem's name vahaya. In other words, it's, it's very optimistic. What is our view toward the future? Optimism. Now, one of the favorite things I ever heard, I heard this from Rabbi cordozo that the philosopher Schopenhauer, not a Jew, right? Who apparently was a, I don't know much about him, but apparently was just like a a major downer of a guy, right? He hated the Jews. Why? Listen to this. He accused the Jews of bringing optimism to the world. (laughs) Can you imagine? Can you imagine such a thing? To hate the Jews because we brought hope to the world. We brought optimism to the world. But this is the Jewish view. It is the Jewish view. That the world, that there is a process of evolution going on in this world. And you can see it. I mean, you know, I I tell you the, the minorest, the minorest example of what I'm talking about. If you look at the way people lived thousands of years ago. And now if you were to go to, you know, a very bad neighborhood. Like very, very low rent neighborhood. And you were to get like... Not even a one-bedroom, a studio apartment in the worst neighborhood. Right? But it's an apartment. There will be, if not in your place, at least on the hallway, a private bathroom and a shower. Can you imagine what, what that means? That's the lowest level. I mean, it's like, in all of, all of the world, if you just look at it, you, you, you see it evolving. You see it evolving toward the revelation of oneness. You see it all over the place. Okay. So now, now let me just get to the point about Kitabo. This is the real point that I wanted to tell you. Kitabo is very interesting because it it has a lot of curses in it. There are two headquarters of curses in the Torah. Okay, um, one of them is Kitabo, and it's uh, it's intense because it's a lot of curses, and they don't. It's not like you know, they're they're famous Jewish curses. One famous Jewish curses is that a person should lose all their teeth except one, and when that one tooth, they should have a toothache. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's you could do a whole study on Jewish curses. Like these are not from the Torah, but just you know, culturally how they've risen up. I mean, that's a very creative curse if you think about it. I mean, the um, doctors in the land know of your case. Oh, that's very funny. May the famous doctors of the land, the finest doctors of the land know of your case. Okay, so that's, a, that's another good example. Um, so, so anyway, it's not, it's, 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 it, and, and the custom of the person who um, reads them, when you get to that section, you know, it's like a whole actually interesting uh, cultural thing. Like Even it goes into halakha. Who do you call up for that section when that part is read? Right? Because some people, it's like, don't call me. Hello? <laughs> you know, <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm very happy to send a donation. <laughs> I'm not taking the Aliyah. Thank you. So, a lot of times the rabbi will take it. A lot of times the rabbi will take it. Sometimes the person who's reading the Torah, he'll, he'll do the Aliyah and he'll take it. So, there are different customs. Other people, they're not superstitious. They don't care. It's all the Torah. You know? There's a very famous uh, story about a um, it's in Chabad, I forgot uh, which of the Chabad Rebis it was, but he heard the curses read, the Klalas. Um, curse is an English word, by the way. We say Klala. Klala really means consequences. It's, a, it's, a, it's actually, it's a much more friendly and much more accurate word, actually. Because God is not saying, I'm waiting to zap you, and I'm just waiting for you to do something wrong so that I can get you. That's not Judaism. It isn't. God is telling us, listen, I've set up a world with certain parameters. They exist on the physical level, and they exist on the spiritual level as well. If a person is very righteous, they could be a multi-billionaire, and they run in front of a speeding car, they're going to get killed. They just are. That's just the, that's just the laws that I've put into the world. It okay? doesn't matter how good they've been doing up until then. If they violate the laws of nature, you know, there's, a, there's a, a, a joke that I always like. A guy jumps off the top of the, the, the Empire State Building and he's falling. He's like on the 80th floor. Someone sticks his head out the window and says, how you doing? He says, so far so good. You know, so, so, so it's like there are certain laws that have been built into the world on a physical level. There are also certain laws that have built into the world on a spiritual level. And these things in the Torah are not threats. That, that's, the, that's the thing we have to wrap our mind around. They're not threats. God is saying to us, listen, these things, I'm telling you, I'm warning you, I'm alerting you. This is how it's laid out. Just like you wouldn't run in front of a speeding car, don't do X. If you're Jewish, don't eat pork. Don't, because there are negative consequences to that. You know, and on and on. So, 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 so curse is an English word. Klala is a Torah word. And it means consequences. Okay. But anyway, they're grouped together here. And it says in the Gomorrah the following thing. And here you can see something. Again, I, I'm imparting information to you right now. But I also want you to be sensitive to the methodology and to the way the rabbis are speaking and how they're defining what the Jewish outlook of life is here. See, it's not just, I'm not just telling you this piece of information. I want you to open up your mind and, and see the world through the lens that we see the world. That's, that's the important thing here. Now listen to the following. They say, because, because the rabbi structured the cycle of how these parshas are going to be read during the year. All right, so that the whole thing should be, the whole Torah should be covered in one year. And so they had to make certain like uh, rules. Sometimes you have an extra month in the year, sometimes you don't. So there's all sorts of fine-tuning and nuance going on in terms of when a Parsha pulls out during the year. So the rabbis could have ended the year with this Parsha. But because it has curses in it, klalas in it, the rabbis specifically say in the Gomorrah, we don't want people to be psychologically damaged or depressed by the idea that this is the last thing that they're reading before going into Rosh Hashanah. So they purposely didn't make it. This was on purpose, by design. Even though it's coming right almost at the end of the year, they purposely didn't make it the last Parsha of the year. Purposely. Now that's that's step one. Step two is actually even more beautiful. Step two is, well, why is this, you know, why is it coming now at all? So they say, because the year should end with its klalos. The year should end with its curses. In other words, Whatever energy, whatever negative energy was was decreed to be brought down this in, into the world this year, let's get it over with. We're going to read it now. Done. We close the book on the negativity. It's over. Unto the new. Vahaya. Vahaya. On the new. unto the positive things. Let's get rid of the negative. We're going to read it. Okay, God, I hear it. And now I can tell you the story from the Chabad Rebbe. So he heard uh, someone reading the Kualas, and he fainted. And they came up to him. He he literally passed out. He fainted when he heard what was that's in the Torah. So they said to him, you know, he he wasn't a child. They said, I don't understand. You've heard this. How many times have you heard this read? He said, I always heard it read by my father, and they sounded like blessings. Right now, this was the first time he didn't hear his father read it, and he passed out. So, who was his father? I don't know whether, whether it was the altar I'm not sure who it was exactly. But it was a great sadic. So, if a, if, when a great sadic is, is, is reading it, and it sounds like blessings, how much more so when God himself is giving it over, are they at their core and the root blessings? Right? And the greatest blessing is just telling us, giving us a road map for what wouldn't otherwise be obvious. Like, I can figure out with my own head not to run in front of a speeding car. But why should I be able to figure out with my own head not to eat pork? The rabbis say, you shouldn't say pork is disgusting. The rabbis say, you should say pork is delicious. But what can I do? My father in heaven told me not to eat it. You know, don't, if something is beautiful, don't say it's not beautiful. It can be beautiful. It's allowed to be beautiful. But it also can be that it's not for you. And there's no contradiction. It can be beautiful and not for you. That's okay. That's fine. Um, I want to wish you a great year and everything beautiful, and God willing, uh, we'll pick it up again next year.